you got to keep the big picture that, hey, we're changing the world. We're changing the world. If you want to be taken seriously, you have to be consistent. We're speaking with people that are sending a pulse to their industry. Pulse Welcome to, their to industry. Electric People. We have Dave Madsen on the show. Check out Tim Ballard. Jeff Curl. Sheckler. Kenzie Watts. The League presents Electric People. Welcome back to another episode of Electric People. We're sitting here with Jeremy Atkinson. How's it going, Jeremy? Great. This is, this is awesome, man. Good to have you on, brother. For you guys that don't know, Jeremy is one of our district managers up in Chico, up running Northern California. Hey, is uh, are the fires up there right now, Jeremy, or are they not up that high? Yeah, north? no, it's pretty bad. So there's within probably 20 miles of me, there's three big ones. Man, that's crazy. We all have like the pink sky down here. I'm in, I'm in South Orange County. We have the pink sky and the ash all over our cars. So I can't imagine what it would be like up there. Yeah. Crazy. I had to, uh, I had to get the leaf blower out and go blow off my wife's car the other day. It's that bad, huh? From it's bad. Bad. just from the ash, just, just from ash. Cause if I were oh, to turn on the window wipers or whatever, you, you, it wouldn't wipe it off. So I had to literally, yeah. So I had to get a leaf blower to get the half an inch thick of, uh, ash off her window. Wow. Jeez, man. There was a volcano that erupted i think in washington when i was like 10 years old and ash made it all the way to utah from like we were yeah. getting ash from the volcano so i'm imagining there's just ash everywhere up there yeah that's wild yeah, yeah it's, it's um, pretty bad well hey let's let's jam through some of your stats jeremy you uh hit the 300 mark as of a couple of days ago 304 career installs and you are like one install away from two megawatts career installs so Super impressive, man. You're one of the the elite few. Uh, contender every year in the rally. Current franchise member. You're ranked third in Tribe if we were to stop the rankings today before the end of the quarter. Uh, fifth in the company. And your weekly rhythm, your weekly averages, uh, you average eight ACs a week this quarter, three welcome calls and three permits a week. Super impressive, man. Um, you're originally from Yuba, is that right? Yeah. So walk me through maybe your background and 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 how you got into the industry because I first met you in Utah. Right. Yeah. So I'm I'm from Yuba City, but um, there was an opening that Jordan basically recruited me back to Yuba, so it, it, that worked out. But um, originally, when uh, you're saying back into the industry of of solar, because um, I've been doing door to door for about ten years now. Well, even before but that, so yeah, I give had, us a background of your professional history. Um, okay. So I had come home from my mission for my church in 2010. And then uh, I, I didn't really know what I was going to do, but um, I knew that out of off of my mission, I wanted to go find a college to go wrestle for, go do something. And so I um, had planned to go wrestle in uh, Utah at UVU. And then uh, I, I went to go visit my brother in St. George. And uh, my, my sister-in-law said, hey, I've got a I've got a friend that runs a wrestling program around here. You can go just kind of help him coach or hang out with him. So long story short, I, um, I, I go in there and I'm wrestling with him and he says, Hey, I've got a brother that runs a, uh, he's the head coach of a university out in Virginia. And so we'd like to see if you, it's a good fit for you anyway. So I was all for it, anything I could do to get back into it. And, uh, he said, but you're going to need a job. And so, uh, I, I'm a recruiter for a pest control company. So that's I, I just hopped in my car, drove out to North Carolina to sell pest control for the first time, and uh, I did I did pretty well. Uh, it was it was really fun. Uh, I swore I would never do it again, and uh, that was that's like that typical was 10 years of the ago. first year. 
you finish it and you think it, and it was great and then you come back saying it was awesome i'll never do it again that's like every first year guy says that <laughs> that next summer um obviously it just kind of was a i i didn't have any other options i was like okay well i guess i'm gonna go do this again so he he said hey we're leaving this pest, pest control thing and we're gonna go work for this brand new company called vivant that was when apex switched to vivant as you know and so i uh i jumped on board there and uh, i was with vivant for couple years and then uh, had some dreams to go jump to Vivint Solar back in 2013. And the, the rules are pretty strict back then as well to where it's you can't just jump back and forth from one to another. And so I ended up leaving to go sell pest control again with a friend of mine. So after a couple years there, I uh, decided I was going to try to do my best to get out of the door-to-door industry altogether, moved back to Utah. That's where I had met you in person. And uh, they, there's a, a friend of mine, his mom was starting this mortgage company and they wanted to start a door-to-door program for refinances. So they, uh, they would fly me out to Las Vegas. I go help them develop this door-to-door program. And Obviously, I'm not still there because it it kind of flopped. <laughs> I have this this categorizing system so that I can uh, follow up on my my recruiting. So I have your name in there, but then you're in the notes. It's R15, which means you're a recruit from 2015. So it's funny because it's like every now and then, like I don't, I just don't update them. So it's like I have all these people in my phone, and I'm like, man, you're in R9. That's crazy. Which means you're from 2009. <laughs> you are Jeremy Atkinson R15, which means. Yeah, we took a we took a, a a chance. I tried my hand at recruiting you back in 2015, and I still remember like I don't remember what we were doing, but I remember talking to you and your wife in that parking lot, like south of the mall, off of exit 106. We're, and, we're and, at Jamba Juice. Yeah, that's right. And I remember standing <laughs> outside talking. And you're like you're like man, it's just not going to work out. And I remember I was like, okay, well let's keep in touch. So it's awesome, man. Like it's such a it's such a small world how people like how paths cross and end up. Uh, coming back. We always joke that all roads lead to Vivint. I, I 100% agree. So what was it? What ended up bringing you on solar? Well, so my dad, uh, that mortgage thing wasn't working out. So my dad says, hey, I got a good friend of mine that owns a solar company out here. Um, you, you'd have to come back to Yuba City and then you can go work up in Roseville. And uh, they want they wanted me to come in and be a um, like a canvassing manager. So I wouldn't really knock doors. All I was going to do is just kind of train canvassers on how to do it. And they would set leads and hand them over to sales reps. So I worked there for about a year. Things were comfortable. I had like a company car and a gas card and I get a salary plus overrides on those guys. And so it was comfortable. It it just, it I don't know, it was it was not a good feel. Uh, the, the culture was weird, all that kind of stuff. Anyway, so things started changing pretty rapidly there. They decided they were going to do a different method and they wanted to do the dealer feel. Just get rid of every sales rep and just have everyone go be dealers and go sell for them. So at that point, um, I didn't get laid off or fired or anything. I just felt really, really uncomfortable. And so it's if you believe in uh, divine inspiration or anything like that, I think uh, you'll like this part. So I, I had decided I'm going to start looking for a new job. And I said, you know what? I, I, I like solar. I want to stick to it, but I don't know what I need to do. And all of a sudden, two days later, out of nowhere, Jordan your brother calls me and is like, Hey, so we, we have a, an opening in Yuba city in your hometown. We had a bunch of guys that ended up leaving or whatever the case happened there. And 
So we want to know if you'll come back and, and uh, run that Yuba city area. And I was like, you know, playing hardball. I was like, um, you know what? I'll have to think about it. Little did he know I was like thrilled. It was like the exact opportunity I was looking for. So that was it. That was almost four years ago. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. What is it? What is it? Do you think about, um, cause the path that you've talked about is like, okay, you went out and you, you sold pest control and you had success, right? And then you had other opportunities and, but it sounds like, and I hope I'm not putting words in your mouth, but it sounds like you kind of struggle with this. You were really good at direct sales, but you, you were looking at opportunities that weren't direct sales or they're like in the realm, but you didn't have to knock doors. And I don't know if it, if it got to the point because you, you crush it on doors. Now your earnings are incredibly high. Your impact is really high and, and you're among the top reps in the top direct sales organization and you knock doors. So is it something that you had to like come to terms with, or you had to change your mentality on, because it seems like early on, it was like, I'm good at knocking doors. Now I want to do a job that's close to it, but not doing that. And now you're dominating. Yeah, I don't, I mean, it's, it's not that I, I mean, nobody loves getting a door slammed in their face. And so I, I mean, it was, it wasn't necessarily that I didn't like knocking doors. It was that I would do really, really well in a summer of pest control and still make not great money. And so it was, it was one of those things I'm like, wow, this is really difficult. And yet I'm still not making amazing money. Um, well, I'm not making the money that they project. They say, oh, you can make a hundred, 150,000 a year. And I would be the top sales rep at these, uh, pest control companies and still not make that kind of money. And so it was, it was me trying to find a way out. Um, once I started back with Vivint doing solar, it kind of rejuvenated me. It made me like love door to door again. And now I, I tell my wife this all the time. I'm like, I love what I do and I can't see myself doing anything else now because not only did solar, but Vivint Solar kind of change my thought process and everything. And now the value that we all think we're worth, um, Vivint pays that plus 10, <laughs> 10 times, right? Well, it's interesting because a lot of our guys will get recruited by small companies with the lure of you know, quote unquote, getting off the doors. And I think the, the lure for door to door sales reps that are excelling with a position like that is it feels like progression or like it it feels like, wow, getting off the doors is somehow this level of progression that they're like happening in their careers. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, that's the next step is to find a position where you sort of get off the doors how do you define progression in your career? Because you have taken that route and then come back to being on the doors, yet you're making more money than you've ever made. So how would you define, or I guess, what's your opinion on, you know, the progression within the door-to-door space? Well, so it's, it's funny that you, you say that because when you, when you sell for like a small company, like a, a pest control company or a small solar company or a alarm company that's small. It's funny because the the people that are running the show are the ones that always had the dream of getting off the doors. And so they go and they start their own thing and then they recruit a bunch of people so that they can just kind of sit back and watch other people knock the doors. But when you look at an industry like this or Vivint Solar specifically, like you guys aren't off the doors and yet you guys are at the top of the the, the kingdom. Right. And so it's, it's one of those things that it kind of, 
puts into perspective that the guys that are the most successful at the most successful companies, they're in the trenches doing the the hard work too. But the companies that are small and are always going to stay small, those are the guys that had the dream of, you know, I got to get off the doors and stop doing the hard work. When in reality, in my opinion, the more I do this, the easier the door-to-door gets. Well, the industry evolves really quickly. And I, I've even felt it from time to time. If I go a period of time where I just get hung up doing, you know, all the whirlwind of the current position that, you know, Ty and I are in, it's really easy to like talk your way out of going out and getting on the doors, whatever. And then what happens is all of a sudden it's been a little while and you go back out and they just feel different. Like you feel out of practice, you know, and it's kind of like a sport. Like if you're a baseball player and you don't, you know, get in the batting cage for six months, all of a sudden those pitches feel really fast coming at you, you know, and all of a sudden the curveball, you're like, you're like flinching at curveballs, you know? And so I think if you're going to be a leader in the door door space, that lead from the front principle it's just so valuable because the industry is just always evolving. The doors are always evolving. So, and, and I guess that's a, another question for you is you were in it, you left and then you came back. Like what was that acclimation period like and how long did it take you to kind of get back in the swing of things? Yeah, it was, um, I had, I had met with, uh, I think it was right around the same time I'd met with Ty, but I'd met with Chance and I'd met with Ty Mickelson. And it was just one of those things where I had a goal of not doing the door to door anymore. And, and again, I, I just huge props to the guys that do it for 15 years straight and they just, they're still animals. But, um, I had a moment of weakness and I just didn't want to do it anymore. But, um, I even met with, uh, uh, Jason Delstra and he, I was looking for like a job at corporate sitting down doing something there. And it, it came down to it where every single one of those guys were like, what are you doing? Like you can, sure. We'll find you a job here and you'll make okay money, or we can just put you out where you have all the training in the world and you're going to make amazing money. It was just that vision had been pitched to me for years and years doing all kinds of door to door that, the, the money is amazing, but I hadn't quite made the big bucks yet. And so it was, it was hard to finally convince myself that that's where the money was made by just getting back out of the doors until I wasn't happy with the money that I was making. And then I finally just said, you know what, I'm out of options. I don't have any other options. I might as well go do this again and see what happens. Isn't it incredible the pay cut people are willing to take to get off the doors? You're like, well, in yeah, their head. to be comfortable. Yeah, in their heads, right? But it usually doesn't last, right? Like it usually, that, that, that's what I was going to say is it's crazy. Like if you could think of yourself, I, don't, I didn't know you when you were 16, but I always think about this for myself. If I could say, okay, to my 16-year-old self, hey, you know, 20 years from now or whatever, just here's a snapshot, right? And you'd be like, wow, like that looks like a really comfortable house. Oh, wow, there's, there's some kids in there wow, that's the car I drive. And these are my friends and I get to, this is amazing, right? Oh, I'm going on these, these trips and these vacations and I have my own schedule and I get to do whatever. This turns out really well, you know what I mean? But it's like <laughs> the biggest difference between people that are ultimately successful and not is the way that they think. And it's a constant, constant game to tune our thinking to make sure that we're not getting weird in our heads out there.
And I think especially oh, yeah. with direct battle. people, because we're, yeah, well, we have high emotional EQ, right? And we're, we're used to like, you know, using emotions to motivate ourselves and others and stuff like that. But every now and then you need, you need that little check where it's like, dude, what would my 16 year old self think about this? Not that I take advice from that guy, but I'm sure I would have been stoked if I could have seen it then, you know what I mean? Where it's like, wow, I have a swimming pool. That's so cool. Like little things like, you know what I mean? But it's weird how fast we get into our heads and start thinking that our blessings are our curse. You know what I mean? Right. Hey, what did, uh, what impact do you think wrestling had on, on your success and your ability to compete? Maybe, maybe talk me through, cause wrestling was a massive part of your life. So talk me through um, what wrestling is to you and what you learned about it and how it translates to, to the job you do now. I've been either wrestling or coaching. So I, I'm a high school coach here in Yuba City, and I've been doing that for about five years. And so that's that's actually a pretty tough balance right there to be six months out of the year. I, I spend a lot of time uh, every single night, matches, all day Saturdays, things like that. And so six months out of the year, I do that for the past five years. But so if you take that time and the amount of time I, I actually put into wrestling, I spent 24 years on the mat, whether it's coaching kids or doing it myself. And so I was, I was actually thinking about that recently because uh, your brother Jordan said something that was like, it's actually, I've been thinking about it a lot. Um, he, he said something about that um, uh, motivation will fail you every time, but discipline never will. And so I think that's one of the things that I learned from, from wrestling or any athlete doing any sort of sport. That's just something that you learn is that you have to be disciplined in whatever it is. Um, in my opinion, some doing some sort of UFC or or wrestling or jujitsu or whatever, it, it requires a little bit more discipline because not only do you have to get up early in the morning and go for a run because you got to keep your weight down, you got to watch what you eat. You got to uh, make sure you're honing your skills. You have to be prepared for the next guy. And so that's one of those things that I think that it was just a, a valuable lesson that I learned is just pure discipline. Um, when your friends want to go out on the weekends and they want to go party or they wanted to go do whatever, and you had to say, hey guys, I can't because I have to wake up at four o'clock in the morning to go to an all-day tournament. Plus, I still have to lose three or four more pounds. Yeah. So it, it was <laughs> one of those things that I'd be sitting in school and I would have a, a two liter bottle and I'd be spitting Skittles or doing something to lose that extra weight. But that's <clears throat> that right there is if I can narrow it down to one thing that's kind of molded my life, it's that, that discipline that I learned over this last 24 years. Yeah. It's, it hasn't been an easy run when you, when you do a sport like that, but it's, it's so worth it. And that's what I, that's why I coach. I tell the kids, I'm like, you this is something that's going to change your life, whether you feel it is now in the moment or 20 years from now when you have an opportunity that, that requires so much discipline. Because that motivation, when you have the, those extra three pounds to lose or whatever it is, it, it's, it's gonna, you're going to lose it real fast. But if you learn that discipline, it's never going to fail you, just like your brother said. Well, that's excellence, right? Excellence is sustained uh, you know, superior results. It's not one-time achievement of superior results. It's, it's literally, you, you know, who else says that same thing about wrestling is James Lawrence. So we've, we've interviewed the Iron Cowboy. He actually just got installed. He's got his Vivint Solar System installed. Oh, but, wow. um, yeah, one of the things that he credits his, just his mental strength to do these, these really difficult things is he was a wrestler 
um, growing up. And it's crazy because if you think about like the discipline that it takes for a kid, you talk about like spitting to lose weight. First of all, it's crazy that that's, I mean, you just do everything. I would think that that's probably among the last most efficient ways to lose weight is to spit it out of your mouth. But I know wrestlers do it. But it's like, it's not like when you're doing that, do you think, hey, do I want to be doing this? Right. You just have a goal. And all right, if I got to spit in class, then I'm going to spit in class. But it's never it's 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 odd how damaging it can be every now and then to stop and say, hey, do I want to be doing this? Because, you know, you brought up MMA. How often do you think those guys feel like not getting punched in the face today? They just they just do it like they just have kind of a goal. And, you know, but think about that with any any job, like how many people want to go do corporate accounting for a company how many people want to and i think people often get tripped up with what they want to do and it you know brian tracy says never trade what you want most for what you want now that's just and that's the skill i guess you're talking that's learned through wrestling so how does that translate to the job you do now yeah so i mean besides the fact that for the last 20 something years i've stared down brackets and i've stared down rankings and i've watched all these things the competition that's obviously ingrained in me and i can't stop it most of us that do a job like this we we feel the same way we had some sort of competition that sparked us or whatever but um yeah it's just one of those things where uh, the discipline of having to get up early in the morning to go do a run or to to not eat this or to make sure i eat that it's the same thing um, when there's a metric in front of me and it's, they say, hey, in order to maintain X position or a, a certain ranking or whatever, you have to do this. It's I've done that my whole life. I, it's just, hey, in order to maintain being a DM, you have to do four and two every single week. Or if you want to be in the elite group of franchise, you you need to be doing five and three every week or you need to be doing 25 installs every single week. And at a certain point, there there is no justification. There's no excuse. It's that's what I want. I I will do it. And whatever it takes, if it means that I have to sacrifice a little extra time on Saturday evening, kind of relaxing, then that's what it's going to take. Because um, it's just I I have a goal and I I want to do that. So just do it. It's funny. So as you've been talking about the wrestling thing, I've been thinking back of my high school days, the school that I went to high school is a very, um, like wrestling is a huge part of the culture of the high school I went to in Salt Lake. So, uh, like the toughest kids in school all wrestled. And, um, I grew up, you know, playing football, always in the gym, you know, our school was in a part of town, like a tough part of town. Like we were always getting in fights on the weekends with like rival schools, whatever. And the wrestlers, like, I just remember growing up in high school and we had these kids on the wrestling team that were just like a different kind of insane. Like they were always on a stationary bike in a full sweat outfit in the middle of the summer, like riding bikes, you know, for like an hour straight. And then they'd like take off their hoodie and their bodies like wrapped in saran wrap, just like ridiculous things to like shed pounds, whatever. And then they're always like running around in like the full hoodies in the middle of summer or whatever. Like what is wrong with you guys? Like, I don't like, there is like a different kind of insane that comes with wrestlers. And, um, I also want to know, 
two-part question. Some of the most successful sales guys that have ever I've ever worked alongside with also happen to be wrestlers. So what is it about wrestling specifically compared to other sports that gives you a different kind of mental edge with this job specifically? Yeah. So I, I played, well, first, first part of the question again, don't forget, don't forget first part of the question. What's wrong with you? Second part, (laughs) mental edge. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What's wrong with me is I had two older brothers that used to beat the snot out of me growing up and uh, they wrestled and they played football and they did all these other sports. And so, I mean, just like the youngest brother syndrome, I, I hated getting beat up. And so that's what kind of motivated me to go and start doing a sport like wrestling. They were wrestling. That's mm. what helped motivate me, but that's what kept me in it because they wrestled for three or four years. And then once I started, I never stopped because I, maybe I felt like I had something to prove to them or something. So I don't know, maybe that's what's wrong with me. I got beat up too much by my older brothers. Mm. Um, but the, uh, one of the things, I don't know, is I played all the other sports. I played football through elementary school and high school and things like that. I, I did baseball. I did, uh, I mean, my parents made us play uh, an instrument. We all were required to play the clarinet growing up, every single one of us. So I'm the youngest of five. <laughs> But so we, we were all involved in, in, they get, they well, get like a fun. clarinet jam going at family parties. Like they're all, they all show up with the <laughs> <Dude>. clarinets. <laughs> no, no, there, like was, squid, there was squid one word, clarinet, right? one clarinet. We all oh, had got share. passed down. <laughs> and you were the youngest. Perfect. Current conditions to, to, to blow the same horn. So there, I've done all of the sports, but this is the one sport where there there was no slacking off because it showed because it was an individual sport you're on a team obviously and any individual effort helps the team but when you're doing something like football not putting football down because i i love it i love watching it but it's it's easy to slack off or it's easy to to blame someone else and say oh we lost because of them but in an individual sport, you have no one else to blame. It's, it's whatever effort you make on that mat, it shows and everybody sees it. So whatever effort you're making off the mat or in practice or whatever, it's going to reflect right there for everybody to show underneath the spotlight on Tuesday or Wednesday night or Saturday night. And so that's why it's, uh, I love this sales aspect. I'm, I'm basically built for this sales aspect because it's all on me. I don't have anybody else to blame. I can't point fingers at uh, my manager, or my regional, or my this or my that, because at the end of the day, I'm the one that's on the doors by myself trying to make a living and make this thing happen. And I can't pick on anybody else. Jeremy, how long do you think it would take you to take down uh me or ty <laughs> um i i don't know Thir- 10 I'm seconds slippery, dude. <laughs> i'm slippery ty i feel like is just wiry and like he's the friend that doesn't know how to do like half speed fight like he only he either thinks he's in a fight or not you know what i mean like that's ty but that was my guess the throat i'm gonna like, see if i can just get a good throat punch off right it, just, it depends on how badly how badly he wants to get taken down or not, in my opinion, if he's going to run around the circle, it's going to be a little bit more difficult because he said he's slippery. (laughs) You're just going to let me wear myself out. Hey, I had a question for you, man. What happened like a year and a half ago? I think it was a year and a half ago. So before you you were doing, you you came in and you were good and pretty consistent at the marks, you know, like the 10 to 15 level probably. 
But you you kind of made a statement, I guess, to the rest of the industry where you just started smashing. Like there's a noticeable difference between quarters a couple years ago and the ones that you consistently produce now. I'm wondering, I wasn't there for it. I just saw the result of it. But what happened to take you from doing 10 to 12, 13, 14, maybe 15 a quarter to consistently being franchised? We have a lot of people that are at that level that are probably of similar talent and similar former production that haven't yet had the result that you had. So I don't know if it was something specific, but I wanted to ask you that. You know, I, I had a feeling that that was going to come up because it is kind of a, like a, an elephant in the room type of a thing of like it's all of a sudden out of nowhere. It's the next. Yeah, it, it is. It, it really, it really showed up. It, it boiled down to, um, so we had a, we had an office, here in Chico that just, uh, we had some manager changes and things like that. People left, people came in. Um, and so in my opinion, I had, I had been in this office the longest, longer than anybody. And so I, it just, in my opinion, I was like, okay, I, I'm, I'm next, like I'm going to be the next manager, regardless whether my numbers were showing it or, or not. It was one of those things where I had this built up in my mind that I, there was a position there that technically I should qualify for. Now, looking back, obviously my numbers were not good enough for me to qualify for it, but you know, we all kind of build those kind of things up in our mind. Well, so your brother had recruited, so Jordan had recruited a couple of people and said, Hey, we're going to, we're going to bring in some new people. And, uh, they, they are really good fits for this new manager position that's opening up. Well, it was like a gut punch. And, uh, so I started thinking back during that time, well, what about me? Why, why not me? And, uh, I, I really started thinking about, uh, what, uh, Dave Madsen said when he said, uh, when he came in and he said, all right, so what, what office am I going to manage? And the conversation was given to him of like, you're, you're not, you're going to go prove yourself and we want you to beat people so badly that you're the clear choice that really stands out in my mind and so when i had the conversation um basically that same topic came up with jordan he was like just i mean just go beat people so badly that you make yourself the clear choice and so that's essentially what i did i was i was happy making seven to 12, maybe 15 installs in a quarter. And I was, and I was doing fine. Like I, I had, I had a nice house. I had a nice car. I had like, my family was happy. But then when I got passed up for something that I felt like I should have qualified for, no offense to anybody, but myself. I mean, I, I, I'm the one that put myself in that position, but um, it, it changed me. I was like, that's, I, I want to be in that position. And so I just, I started working a whole lot harder. I started working a lot earlier. I stay out later. I manage my schedule, my everything differently because I got that same thought process of, I need to just go out there and whoever's the top person, I need to just go beat them so badly that I am obviously the clear choice. And it was one of those things where like in a, a video game or a whatever, you hit a checkpoint and then if you lose, you can't go back. It's the same concept that I hit a point of no return to where my my installs and my sales just I, I felt like I had to maintain it because there is no going back. That was uh, just a thing that I wasn't okay with. It's pretty awesome, man. 
that's pretty cool that uh, that you're able to have that self awareness because a lot of people a lot of people get passed up and then you know your potential you know like that's that dissonance that I feel like it's really healthy to feel every now and then because it's like okay you saw somebody or you weren't immediately in the conversation and that made you feel a way you didn't like. So a lot of people, when they feel a way they don't like, they react differently than you did, right? They'll go somewhere else where they'll get their respect or they'll, they'll, they'll make you see, or oh, fine, I'm just not going to participate. But I think the, the fact that you could say, okay, I need to go out and be the clear choice. Fast forward now to, you know, a couple of years later, literally like you're consistently ranked amongst the top and there's no question ever. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's a pretty cool and impressive thing to do that you've actually built the status and the, the, the platform for recognition on real, it's the right things, right? On real tangible things. Ty, just, I want to add to your thought real quick. Sorry. It's great advice for up and coming reps too, because when we're making management decisions, inevitably there's always someone that feels maybe passed up or wonder why they didn't get considered for the job or get the job. And for you to have the mentality of saying, not, not like pouting and throwing a temper tantrum. Instead, your first question was, man, what, what really internalizing why you maybe weren't considered and then making sort of a concerted effort to change that perception or change, you know, the way people look at you. Right. And so, um, it's a really, really mature way to approach it and also highly appreciated by your leadership, no doubt. I mean, I haven't talked to Jordan and Ty about it, but whenever I have reps um, or leaders in that same boat and they react that way, it honestly, like the next time something comes up or it makes me start rooting for them a lot more as well, where yeah. I'm like, wow, like he handled that perfectly. Um, I'm going to do everything I can to help get this guy to the next level now because of the way they're just reacting to adverse circumstances. So um, it's really commendable. And then more importantly, it's really cool that you regrouped and made it happen. And I, I also just to add this one thing that you said earlier too, there's a big difference between knowing your potential and then knowing your capacity of what you can do. And for me, it sounds to me like you knew what your potential was and sort of realized you weren't reaching it. But there's also people who think they're working as hard as they can, but upon talking to other people that are working way harder than them, they start realizing really quickly, oh, like there's a whole different level of work ethic that I'm not currently achieving right now. And so it seems to me like not only did you believe in your potential, but you also quickly realized like I can do more than I'm doing right now. And then you actually did it. So I don't know if you have any thoughts or agree with that, but um, anyway, it's kind of cool to hear your story though. And, you know, especially how you got from where you started to where you are now. Yeah. I don't know. Everyone, everyone loves an, an underdog story. And uh, mm -hmm. I just kind of throughout the years have given myself in my own like heart, the, the thought that I am the underdog and no matter what I do, it doesn't matter if the, the rankings or the statistics say I should beat this person or I should do this or I should be here. I've always just kind of given myself this underdog uh, mentality. And I don't know if it's low self-esteem that I've got that I give myself or, or, or what, but 
it's always seems to to work out when I kind of put my mind to something that um, what do I have to lose? I, if I if I don't win or if I don't do this or I don't do that, people don't expect me to. So oh well. But if I if I tell myself how much better will it be if I do accomplish these goals in my own opinion, then I can prove to myself that maybe I do belong or, or whatever. I think too, um, you know, with a with a change like that, with a current like with a with a conscious mental change to say, hey, I'm going to do more. That comes with it a lot of life effects. So, you know, you mentioned that, you know, you you coach wrestling half the year. You're doing double the production that you used to do. You also took on a DM role. But I also know you've moved, you remodeled your house, you do a lot of the work yourself. Talk me through life management because your success since has been sustained, right? It's been it's been quarter over quarter and every competition we've had, you've shown up and been a top contender. So how do you how do you do life management with your wife? How do you how do you get everything? What's your philosophy on that? And maybe what are some tips you do to fit everything in? Yeah, I I mean, more and more I'm around my wife. Seriously, she she deserves all of the the glory and the competitions and all this kind of stuff that I that I may be a part of. She deserves all the credit for most of that because she does things that I can't do. Right. So it's funny because a lot of the remodels, like we do our floors or we redo our stair banisters or whatever it is. Usually it's her doing it. And I'm just there as like moral support. You like hold the paint can. Right. I'm like, Oh, if you missed a spot right there. You should probably get that. <laughs> but she's so good. Um, and then t- for her to be able to take care of our three. So we have three boys and they fall into six, four and one and a half and it's chaotic. And so she accomplishes so much around here and does so many things that if she sticks me with the boys for an hour, I'm already on the phone calling or saying, Hey, when are you going to be back? Because uh, I, they're, they're going crazy or they threw something or they did this. And yet for her to keep a level head to do all that and remodel the house and cater to me, it's, it, she deserves more credit than I do because I tell people all the time, I have the easy job of just going out and knocking doors, try doing what she does. So, I mean, I, again, I, I, when it comes to like trying to do the, the coaching thing and trying to sell and trying to maintain a, a clean or a remodeled house or whatever. Most of the credit goes to her. I just have to arrange my schedule to make sure that I'm there for her or there for my, the, the wrestling group that I coach or, or whatever it is. But that's the easy part. Arranging your schedule is the easy part. Doing the work. That's, that's where she gets most of the credit. I'm thinking about like, as I'm listening to you talk, like you have a calmness to you. And I was thinking about like, how would your, how do your, the kids that you coach, I wonder how they describe Jeremy. And, um, but then my thought process, which I do want to know, my thought process was, um, do you like your, your best, like motivational stuff that you have for your kids, uh, that you coach, like, what's like your go-to, like, like, do you have movies that you quote from? Do you like when you need the kids to dig deep? do you motivate with emotion or do you really focus on that discipline that you talked about earlier and then contrast that with the way that you manage and lead your sales guys? Yeah. So it's, it's funny. Um, in the, in the wrestling room, I'm the coach that they always are like, they, when they, when we announce new kids that come into the room or whatever, they're like, Oh, this is the quiet coach, which is me. And I, I don't really, I don't typically yell at the kids. Um, and the, I got that from my college coach. So I've had some amazing coaches throughout my life, but my college coach 
one of the things that he taught me is he was very calm in the corner. He was very calm in the in the wrestling room. And if you did something like you lose or you did something wrong or, or you, you made a mistake or whatever, he would never yell at you. He was always so calm and like kind that when I would walk off the mat, if I lost, I felt like I disappointed him. And I would always, the very first thing I'd say to him is, sorry, I'm disappointed or sorry, I let you down. And I'd grab my backpack and I'd go off for a run really quick in between matches. And so that was one of the things that, that he really inspired me with is that he didn't have to yell and he didn't have to scream at me to, to motivate me. It was one of those things that he was so kind and loving that you felt like you disappointed him if you didn't win or you didn't uphold your end of the bargain because he put so much work into us that it, that's all it took is just for him to, to not have to say anything and you, you knew that you'd potentially disappointed. But so I, I try to have the same mentality with my kids that I, that I coach. One of the rules that I have is when you come off the mat, if you lost, I'm not going to take you aside and I'm going to go discipline you or I'm going to go yell at you or whatever because you know you lost. You're in a mindset of, I just went through something really tough. Don't sit here and, and nag at me or whatever. So I always tell them, this is what I want you to do. I want you to make sure that you have somebody record every single match if you come off the mat and you lose i want you to go sit for the next 10 minutes and i want you to re-watch your match then come back to me when you're ready to learn something because i can i can pull you aside in when you got all this adrenaline pumping and i can say oh you did this and you missed that and you could have done this and blah 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 but they're not going to learn anything in that moment they're going to learn once they're ready to learn and so that's what i do with my the kids that I coach is I, I could sit there and yell at them, but it's what good is that going to do? They're not going to learn anything in that moment. So I prefer to take the same kind of uh, uh, mentality and uh, stab at it that my coach did and just say, Hey, go take a minute, go focus, go watch your match, see what you did wrong and come back to me as soon as you're ready. And then I'll coach you how you need to do things. <laughs> And so in our, in our office, um, it's, I mean, I try, I don't, maybe I do a good job. Maybe I don't, I don't have any idea, but I try to do the same type of thing of like constantly coaching people, sending them texts in the morning. Hey, I know that we rely on you a lot, but we, uh, we really need your help. And so again, it, the success of our reps will tell you whether we do a good job at it or not, but our wrestling team is pretty successful. And I, that mentality that we instill in these kids is something that I kind of pride myself on is I don't have to scream at you. I want you to kind of self-reflect and then come back to me. Well, it's that same, I, I think the same exact principle of come to me when you're ready to learn. Um, a lot of guys, when they very first start with us, they won't like fully engage in the job until they've gone and watched their manager knock. The manager's gone and knocked them. And I always say, no, like go, like redo the, do the trainings. Like you can learn how to do the door approach by watching videos or reading our, the, the pitch or whatever. Go try it on your own for a couple of days and go like, just work through all these things on your own. And then when you come to your DM, you're going to be so much more ready to learn at that point. And you'll also know like what to look for when you're shadowing your DM. If you go out with your DM, and you very first start and you've never knocked a door, you've never sold solar and you're sitting there watching him like you don't even know what you're looking at. Like you don't know what you're listening to. You don't know what you're watching. 
you don't know what like why they're asking questions or why they're handling objections the way they are right so uh for any rep listening that approach of you know you lose the match go watch your match on video for 10 minutes and then come talk to me like that exact same principle in my opinion is the most effective way to learn how to do this job go do your mat go knock doors on your own no help then record your pitch listen to your pitch over and over again as you you know fail over and over and then go to your manager and ask for advice or ask to go shadow and you're going to get so much more out of it well yeah the other the other problem with that is that if you you watch your manager first day and then you're like holy cow that's so easy i could do that and then you go out there and you get your well we we used to call it getting your nose bloody you get the door slammed in your face 15 times and you get your nose bloody and you're like, wow, holy crap, maybe I'm not built for this. Maybe I can't do this. I saw my manager do it and he's so good at it and it's so easy, but I can't do it. And so that, that whole kind of um, coming to your manager when you're, when you're a little bit more humbled is, uh, in my opinion, it works. It works really well with my wrestlers. And so, yeah, that's a great mentality to you have for our door-to-door reps. Well, it's like watching a good golfer golf it looks like the easiest thing in the world i yeah you're just like well i should just be a pro golfer because that's easy and then you hold the <laughs> club and you're like am i literally like in a, incapable of doing this basic movement <laughs> you know what i mean um i was gonna say earlier man i uh I, well to on your guys's point um i actually listened to a podcast the other day that said that same thing with parenting which everything is like everything right all this stuff is same principles but you know to, to yell at a kid in the middle of a freak out which is my like you know, this is advice for myself, but when somebody is acting outside of how you think they should act and you grab them and correct them in that moment, less effective, right? It's better to then say, Hey, take a second and go calm down. And what you said is come back when you were ready to learn something, but then to go in there later and just say, Hey, what, how do you think that went? Like what's, what's going on? But it's like, you can't teach anybody anything in a moment of passion, right? It's always, it always has to be once the, you know, the adrenaline's out of the system or whatever. But I think that's really good advice for ourselves. Like how many of us come back from a hard day at work or something difficult happening with ops or something like that and want to make a decision? You know what I mean? It's like, calm down and come back when you're ready to learn. I like that. Um, I had a question for you about um, competition. So I was talking to Devin this morning and he took it back to your guys' alarm days where you were, out, you were in Hawaii, right? With Newbies Group. Yeah. Yeah. And so Devin had... Devin had this monster team in Alabama. Jeremy had this, this team he was a part of out in Hawaii. And uh, back-to-back championship rounds where you guys beat old ARPS team. But I know that competition's big for you. I know it's a big driver. How do you, how do you use it, and how do you think people can use it to, to make the job, to break up the monotony of the job and have better results? Yeah, it's, it's going back to um, – I, I was competing – um at this tournament one one year and uh i was wrestling this this kid that was part of a team called the the sun-kissed kids and uh it it's just like it's like a nationwide known team and and when you wrestle somebody that's wearing a sun-kissed kids uniform or singlet or something you're like oh well i'm done it's just a it's like a wrestling club but are they like sponsored by sun I mean, yeah, that's so a pretty wimpy like a name. I think to myself, person. I'm wrestling the, yeah, I'm wrestling the kid on from the sun kiss. I'm like, easy win, easy win. Yeah. Oh, automatic. You know what? You want to like, like, you wanna, like the dragons should be able to knock those guys right out. 
<laughs> right. So, so you, you see that kind of stuff. And then the people that take them lightly are the ones that usually get smashed. And so I, I was, uh, I was wrestling this kid at a big state tournament and he was, he, uh, he, he knew he had me. He was pacing across from me and he kept looking over and he kept blowing kisses at me. And I was like, Oh, I'm going to get destroyed. So I had already, he was mentally beating me before I even stepped out on the ring with him. So he, he takes off his shirt, he's got his singlet on, and he's shredded. And I'm like, oh, man, not only is he shredded, he's blowing kisses at me. He's got bleach blonde hair, and he's part of the sun-kissed kids. Like, I'm screwed. And so he, the, the problem is, is that I think that he had this arrogance about him that he shakes everyone else lightly. He wants to get inside your head, but now he's letting his guard down. So the match starts three seconds into it. He takes a, a shot in on my leg and I did what's called a chin whip. You literally grab him by their chin and you throw him and I pinned him in three seconds. And so it was one of those things that I was totally in shock. I was like, "How? I have no idea how I just did that. There's no way I should have beat this kid. It, 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 I have no idea. Like I was speechless. Tournament goes on and I end up having to wrestle that same kid for third place. They announced who he's wrestling and who I'm wrestling. And he said, nope. And he walked away. <laughs> Just took off. Whoa. And so his coach, his coach literally grabs him by the back of the neck and sends him in there he's, and to wrestle me. And I, this time, I just destroyed him. And, but this time, it wasn't luck. It was that he had mentally beat himself from the, the very first match of the, the uh, tournament two days ago that he'd just given up. I want you to chin right whip there. It sounds so painful. Walk yeah. us through a chin whip. Yeah, walk us through walk <laughs> us through a chin whip. So if somebody shoots in on your legs, <laughs> we've all seen UFC matches, things like that. They grab your legs. Well, their head is going to end up on one side of your hip or the other. And so you, you take your hand and you grab the chin, and I grab underneath their armpit with the other side, and you literally just you rip their chin around until they fall down. Because... Wherever their head goes, their body's going to go. And so if I grab his chin and force it one way or another, he, the rest of his body's going to follow or else he's going to break, break his, neck. his neck. Yeah. Right. And so yeah, what I just heard is he, what I just heard is you you attempt to murder a man and if he decides to live, he rolls over on his back. <laughs> right. That's what I just got from that. <laughs> well, so it's, it's, I'm going to grab your chin and I'm going to force it one way or another as hard as I possibly can and you can either go with it or you're going to be injured anyway so that, that if, whole, if, hey uh, by the way on the next like on the next league trip if you ever come up behind me and grab my chin I'm putting it out there right now I'm immediately falling down like I'm not going to resist <laughs> it at all I'm just hitting the deck. Like if all of a sudden I feel a hand wrapped around my chin, I'm just, my legs are going, I'm just on my back immediately. I'll be like a dog, just belly up. Well, that's what he did. I'll be like, don't. <laughs> um, well, anyway, so that's, I mean, that, that kind of competition that where it kind of mentally breaks you before you um, even have a chance to compete. That's kind of how I felt like going up against Dave Madsen in the rally. Uh, I, I gave him my best shot, but it's like, how do you take down a juggernaut like Dave? Um, 
obviously I, there was always this thought in my mind that maybe I could upset him. Maybe I could beat him, but little did I know he had those 30 welcome calls ready to throw down against whoever he came up against in the finals. But anyway, so it's just that, that mental battle is what I love about competing. It's just so much fun to me. I've been around it for my entire life and I just, I'm addicted to it. I can't get away from competing. It's funny because when you were telling some of those stories, I used to work with this guy named Hank Weiss, who is like a, he was in the Utah wrestler hall of fame. And he would do these like local Utah UFC fights. And I didn't even know he wrestled. he like, he is out of shape. He probably weighed like 180 pounds, whatever, but just like, doesn't look like he even worked out. And one day he came uh, to us at the office and he was like, Hey, you guys don't have plans tonight. You should come to my, uh, my fight. I'm fighting this guy. And we're like, what, what? And um, so come to find out he had done UFC like a number of years back and he was like in his thirties now. And he had done really, really well. And there was this guy that he'd beat who was on like his revenge tour. This guy had gone and like gotten it like shredded, ripped, and was um, just like beating everybody, right? And the only guy left was Hank, that he hadn't avenged his losses. And Hank was like retired. And he like, he beat some other guy. And then like on TV, he like called out Hank. And like, Hank's not even watching. Like all of a sudden, like a video gets sent to Hank one night. And he's like, what? He's like, I, didn't, he's, I haven't fought in like five years, you know? And um, so anyway... Long story short, Hank accepts the rematch fight, puts in like a month of training, like to get back into, you know, fighting shape. And this guy, this is like all this guy does. So we all go to it one night. It was like downtown Salt Lake. And there's like, uh, there's like 15 guys from work there. And then the whole place is filled with this other guy's fans. Hank like takes his shirt off. Like people are like laughing at him, like heckling him, you know, like tubby, he's just pale white and like out of shape. And this kid takes off his shirt, like your, your guy. And he's just like shredded. And everyone is like, this Hank guy is going to get destroyed. But again, BYU all American wrestler. Like you just can't underestimate these wrestlers tie. And uh, sure enough, same thing. Hank gets him in like a choke thing within like 30 seconds and beats this guy. And then Hank just gets up and like jumps on the fence and is like pumping his fist in the air. And we're like, what just happened? Like, you know, so um, I love hearing like the wrestling stories, especially underdog wrestling stories. Cause they're just like, it all happens so fast. And uh, it's so fun to like, I just never did it. It's one of those sports. I always wish I would have done. Cause I always like was uh, I always sort of envied the confidence that wrestlers seem to have. Uh, they just like walk around with a swagger. Will you Do train what? Adam? Will you take on his, I'm asking Jeremy if yeah, he'll take you on. No, his- I just want him the next time you see me to not say a word and just attack me. And then just like, t- I want to be I want, like taught. I want lesson. you to do that. Yeah. Film it. But I'm the, <laughs> I'm the Hank guy. I got, the, I got the spare tire now and all that kind of stuff. That's why <laughs> a lot of the, the new wrestlers that come into our room, they're like, Oh, who's that guy? It's just the pasty white spare tire guy. <laughs> so usually it's Galvin. Like, oh, usually Galvin tackles kid. me. That's true. Usually Galvin tackles hey, well, me. I'd rather is, have uh, Jeremy tackle me. This has been this has been awesome, dude. It's been fun to pick your brain on how to how to utilize competition and how to how to turn it on and how to be disciplined and 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 how to maximize your efforts. I think if there's one thing that I take from this, it's turn your potential into your your 
your discipline, right? Like I keep going back to that story of when you, you, you know, you, someone else was picked for the DM role or someone else was in discussion about being selected for that role. And, and you took the, the potential that you felt and you just said, okay, I'm just going to put that into action. And I think that's, I think that's a really valuable thing. And I think everybody can always do that no matter what level they're at to get to the next level. Cause there's always another one. Do you got any, you got any parting mm-hmm. words or any, any things to, to share before we close out, Jeremy? Um, I don't know. It's, there's, you always have to find something, um, to, to fight for. Um, obviously like we like we said before that motivation is going to fail you every time, but discipline won't. There's just this one thing that sticks in my mind that um, I had had a, I'd had a disagreement with a, a manager of mine a long time ago. And so we, he'd, we'd both said some things that we may or may not have meant. But one of the things that he said to me was as our last departing words before I'd never spoke to him again was when I told him I was leaving, he said, that's okay. You're, you're not a very good sales rep anyway. And so those are one of those things that like, um, we always have to find that one thing that we can always lean back on when I'm having a hard day or when I'm struggling or when I, 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 I'm going to end up bagging that day. I always think about that one thing that, yes, he said it, maybe not intentionally. He didn't mean it at the moment. It was things like that. But, um, it was one of those things that kind of changed everything for me. Because when I'm when I'm struggling or when I'm not doing well, I always think back of those words of "you're not a very good sales rep anyway." And for me, in in the wrestling world or the sales world or whatever, I always want to prove that I'm good enough. And so that was one of those things that it just it changed everything for me. And little did he know that it would change me for the better. It wasn't one of those things that I could have been like, "Oh, well." He said, I'm not very good. And so I'm just, I'm just going to say, forget this whole thing. I, I had to prove him and myself that I had worth. And so that's one of those things that if, if we can all find that one thing that drives us, I mean, they always talk about your why, but um, that was one of those things that was not just a why. It was one of those things that I, I, I swore I would never, I would never go back. Like uh, the checkpoints that we talk about, uh, you, you have to find checkpoints. And then don't let yourself ever go back on that. And so anyway, if, if anybody takes anything from that, it's the, the, the discipline thing that we've been talking about this whole time, that discipline is going to be everything for you. I love that. It's so true, man. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us, dude. I appreciate your example. I love having you on the franchise team and love being able to work with you. So, And thank you guys for tuning in. This has been another episode of Electric People. If you've liked what you've heard and are interested in joining our teams, check us out at viventsolar.com forward slash careers. If you enjoyed the podcast, please go to iTunes and subscribe. Leave us a great review and leave us a five-star rating. Thanks for hanging out with us today. This is Electric People. Take these principles and go be electric.